Well, good morning. Welcome, Salt Lake City. Hey, let's give God a shout. We are in God's house with God's people on God's day. I am excited to be here. I tell you what, I flew in uh, yesterday. You guys special ordered snow for me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. We don't see much of that in San Diego. I know you feel sorry for me. But uh, to come out this morning and to see my breath, how cool was that? Man, don't take it for granted out here. So I, I first want to honor uh, Pastor Jurgen and Leanne. You know, uh, the beauty of C3 is I've just had the honor and privilege of just walking in their shadow for the last eight years. You guys are in the greatest hands with the greatest people. They have the heart of God in them. I mean, to come to a foreign country 13 years ago with their family, not knowing a soul, and just handshake after handshake, encouragement after encouragement, coffee shop after coffee shop, they have built C3. And you guys are part of that, our fifth campus. We are so excited for you guys. If I could only show you a glimpse of your future, you would be blown away. I had no idea what C3 would do in my life. So let's always give Pastor Jurgen Leanne honor and pray for them. And then I also want to honor Pastor Vince and Becca. I mean, leader of leaders to come in and just say, we want to feel life. We want to grow. We're going to lead the charge here in Salt Lake City. And you can tell a lot about a man by the company he keeps. And I had the privilege of being taken out to dinner last night and meeting a handful of the guys, you know, Ben and Rich and John. And, you know, I was just watching around the table and the love, the honor, the respect that they have for Pastor Vince was incredible. I can tell he surrounded himself with some mighty men and you guys are going to do some mighty things here. Amen. Well, let me tell you a little bit about me so we can be family. It's Thanksgiving, uh, you know, week and uh, I want to be part of your family here. Um, the distant cousin from San Diego. But I was born and raised in Virginia. Uh, my faith background was I had a Baptist grandmother and I had a Catholic grandmother, Catholic straight from Italy. And so the fight was on, as you can imagine. So the Baptist one had a little bit longer tug and uh, pulled me in. So raised in Newport News, Virginia, Parkview Baptist Church, 18 years. Uh, I think my mom needed a break from two boys that tried to kill each other for 18 years. So she'd pick up grandma, drop us off to church. And for 18 years, I, I heard God's word. And uh, those seeds were planted. So for you parents out there that are planting your kids in kids' church, you never know how those seeds are going to come out. It's the greatest thing you could do is plant them in this house. So anyway, um, you know, I, I decided to leave Virginia, wanted to be a Marine Corps officer, and uh, did a 20-year run in the Marine Corps. It was an honor to serve. Thank you. Thank you for all you service men and women out there that have served your country. You're a volunteer. You're a one percenter. And uh, thank you for leading the charge and carrying on. But uh, it, it was cool. Like, little did I know, I, I heard about how much Jesus fought for our freedom and paid the price on the cross. And then as a military member, you're sent in harm's way to literally fight for someone else's freedom. And it was just an honor to do that. So, you know, that was kind of my background, just Baptist. I tried to pick up, you know, wherever I could, a Bible study, a men's group uh, throughout the Marine Corps career, different countries. And then lo and behold, uh, we found this thing called C3. So I don't know about many of you, it was foreign to me. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. 
And uh, is there anybody on the last row, the last seat? I can't see with the lights out there. But that was me when I came into C3. So whoever you are up there, hey, you're in a good spot. You never know where you may end up. I never thought I'd end up here. So, uh, but I came in and I was like, you know, we come in from a perspective of what church should be like, how we were raised. And the thing that I left with was this place was alive. They were moving forward. They were going after all the promises in the Bible. And those are the people I wanted to be around with. So I can tell you, fast forward eight years later, the friendships that I have gained, the power and the authority in my prayer, my kids that are prayer warriors, and as soon as somebody on the playground gets hurt or is crying, they're the first ones to run over and just lay it down in prayer. I mean, that's what you have to look forward to, the greatest friendships. So keep coming back. Keep investing in this house, and if you really want to take it to the next level, let me tell you what we did. We said yes. When people called out the gold inside of us, that's what Pastor Jurgen and Leanne are so good at. We can't see the gold inside of us. We need someone to call that out, and you'll find that in this house. And so when someone asks you to serve on a team, you may not feel qualified, you may not feel gifted, but just say yes. So my wife and I, Tessa, we said yes to the high team. You know, I was like, my wife's friendly. You know, I'm not that friendly. I'm kind of like an introvert. But I was like, I'll just follow in her shadows, and she'll make everybody feel great. Uh, so we started on the high team. And then like three weeks later, they said, you're leading the high team. We're like, we're the newbies. What are you talking about? I was like, what about Steve and Pastor Naomi? These guys have been here for years. So, but we just kept saying yes. And then from there, you know, we do a communion message, maybe a tithe message. Um, and then we, you know, Pastor Jurgen one day, uh, he's got his back toward me, talking to a family. I'm walking out of church. He says, Charles, get over here. Hey, I want you to meet Joe and Martha. And this is our new men's pastor. My eyes got this big. I'm like, what did he just say? We haven't had a conversation. What is he talking about? So I had to corner him next week. I was like, Pastor Jurgen, where'd that come from? He's like, I've been praying for God to show me a man that can help lead our merged men's ministry. And your name kept coming up. So I just said yes. So I want to encourage all of you guys, just say yes. You never know how God wants to develop your life and where you're going to end up. So hopefully that's an encouraging word to you guys. I'm so honored to be here, and I better get into this message before we run out of time. So we're in the Me Monster series, and um, I'm going to pick two points today that uh, I have found to be powerful transformations in my life. And if you guys will let me, I'll tell you some personal testimonies uh, to bring you hope. And maybe that'll resonate with somebody uh, here today. So the title of my message, I'm not sure if you guys have it, Monster Mash. There we go. Anybody remember that song? Came out 1962, right before Halloween, was Billboard chart number one hit. It was a funny little dance tune. We kind of hear it around Halloween. But then I started to look into what does mash mean. And, you know, it means to crush or smash something to a pulp. And that's what I'm going to attempt to do here today. There's some monsters inside of us that have lived there way too long. We've given them too much territory, and we need to evict them today. We need to smash them, and we need to let God have that room that was previously occupied. So first, the Bible says, what should our life be filled of? And it's fruits of the Spirit. I'm not sure if we have Galatians 5, through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so the little monsters must be the things that are the opposite of that. So think of the opposite of what those things are. 
Perhaps it's hate, despair, impatience, meanness, wickedness, jealousy, envy, pride, torment, anxiousness. Has anybody felt anything like that before? I know I have in my life. So that's not where God wants you to live. So let's talk about the first one of these, um, and that's going to be unforgiveness. And this is such a powerful thing that can really occupy your life, and it could, it could take your life, you know, from what God destined it to be. So unforgiveness is defined as a grudge against someone who has offended you or not having the compassion to forgive. When unforgiveness plays out in your life, it causes us to think and do evil things. Have you ever had someone offend you to do something so wrong and you said in your heart, there is no way I could ever forgive that person? You know, well, let me tell you a story, just a couple from my own testimony. Uh, first of all, uh, my wife and I have rented a home in San Diego, pretty high cost of living out there. We were in a home for about three years and it came time to move. And uh, my wife and I, we loved that home. We treated it like our own. I mean, I planted landscaping, fruit trees, installed hardwood floors for my young daughter as we brought her home from the hospital. My brother flew out from Virginia, and we signed the last board, Floors by Uncle Greg. That was like a badge of honor. So we really took care of this home. And it came time to move out. And uh, I could tell there was just something odd between the property manager and the homeowner. And this place was in immaculate shape. And just before we moved out, the homeowner said, uh, hey, you know, make sure you return the second garage door opener. And I was like, okay, you know, I don't remember a second garage door opener, but, you know, hey, I'll look around, see if I can find it. So lo and behold, as soon as we moved out, about three weeks later, I got served at work that I was being taken to court not only for my entire $4,000 security deposit, but also $5,000 in damages. Now, I was falsely accused. I mean, this guy literally walked into court with a two-inch stack of photographic evidence, and he literally take a white wall in the house, brown paint, zigzag it up and down the wall, and snap the picture, and then claim that's how I left it. So I tell you what, I was hot. And after we had moved into the new place, guess what? I found that second garage door opener. I had never seen that thing. I was so mad that this guy would sue me that I took that thing and I threw it in the trash can and I was happy about it. You know, how many people? Vengeance, you know, it's mine, you know, and the Holy Spirit immediately convicted me and he said, you know, Charles, I know he didn't deserve kindness and forgiveness for what he did to you. But you want to be a Christian, then be Christ-like. You're better than that. And although I failed that test of forgiveness, I was given another opportunity in the near future. We went to court, and the judge must have had a horrible day, because literally after five minutes of opening remarks, he called the lawyers back in the chambers. I was stressed out. I was paying all this extra money to hire a, a lawyer. He came out five minutes later, dismissed dismiss both cases, my countersuit and his suit, and I just felt like a victim once again. I was like, how can people get away with this stuff? I did nothing wrong. And then following the court date, uh, we had moved on to our other place, and uh, I had a muscle car. Anybody into muscle cars out there? There we go. 1970 Mercury Cougar XR7 convertible. 
Less than 2,000 of them made. Man, I'd soup that bad boy up. Marine Corps auto hobby shop, taking off rusty parts, making them new, souping up the engine. Ford Performance Red, black leather interior. Can you tell I like my car? <laughs> so it was parked out front. One day I come out to jump in it. My convertible top is slashed. I've got two tires with knife holes in them, and battery acid was sprayed on my aluminum wheels. And you can't get that stuff out. And so I noticed his brand new Dodge truck was in the neighborhood because one of his family members lived over there. And one day I was walking back from uh, the restaurant. I saw his truck, and I always carry a pocket knife on me. Now, I'd have it on me today, but you know the airport and TSA. I've donated so many of those guys. But I wanted to do nothing but take that knife, run it down his brand new, and say, hey, you stole my money, but I'm going to get, get payback. But then God convicted me. He said, you remember the garage door opener? You remember the lesson that you failed? He's like, now is your chance to be a Christian. And in Matthew 6, 14, it says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And so he reminded me that. These things that we teach in the Bible as you plant your kids in church, they will come back. You'll remember these things. The Holy Spirit will whisper them at the right moment. And forgiveness is such a powerful act. It's mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. It says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So the way to crush this unforgiveness monster is to exercise forgiveness, even for people that do not deserve it. And in Matthew 18, through 23, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Should we forgive him seven times? And Jesus said, I did not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Any math geniuses? Anybody know what that number is? 490 times. Now, I don't even know if I can count to 490. I don't know about you guys. You're probably smarter than me. But it's like, that's how many times we're supposed to forgive. It's supposed to be our first response. So let me tell you a little bit more real story. Um, you know, my father, when I was young, me and my brother were 14 months apart. Uh, he committed adultery uh, with a coworker. My mom uh, found a love note on his truck uh, windshield wiper. And needless to say, that ended the marriage. You know, my dad had full visitation rights. He lived about eight miles away from us. And, uh, you know, he would never exercise them, and he'd be so flaky, you know. So, so many times, my mom, she'd get us all dressed up, we'd open the big front door, there'd be a glass screen, and we'd just stand there waiting for Dad to arrive. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And the mom realized he was never going to show, and he never even called. And so she'd take us to McDonald's, she'd make it great. And my dad would always just let us down. You know, so many things he did in our life, um, you know, not paying child support. My mom had to work three jobs just to make ends meet. And she did such a great job that, like, we never really felt lack. So for any of you single moms out there that are having to do it all, I honor you. You guys are amazing. What you do, it's like your sons or daughters, they don't know, but one day they will be so thankful for the sacrifices you've made. So my mom did that, and my dad, you know, I played all kinds of sports, football, wrestling, soccer. My dad never came to one single game. And, you know, that's tough as a, as a young man, you know, and I think the reason why he didn't want me to play is because he really didn't want to pay the medical bills. And so I kind of like hid that I played from it, 
Um, and then one day I fractured my foot in football. Kept it from my dad because he was so irate if I would ever get injured. And he found out. And my father, when he found out, he did not speak to me and my brother for over a year and a half because of that. And think of that. You're a young kid. You want nothing but the love and the admiration of your father. And you just don't get it. And it can't, you know, for me, I said, I, I long for it so much that I'm willing to go knock on my dad's door and just ask for forgiveness. And hopefully he'll invite us back in. So needless to say, all these years later, there's so many other things, uh, the wounds of a father, an earthly father. Um, but I had a choice. I could become bitter or I could become better. And for many of you in the audience here today, you know, something bad has probably happened to you throughout your life. You know, and a lot of times that bitterness, that unforgiveness can just keep doing a repeat pattern in your life. It actually brings out anger and it just changes your personality. And we need to get to the root of that. So Matthew 7, 1 says, judge not lest ye be judged. So how could I forgive my father for all that he did to me? How could I break this unforgiveness monster? And I needed God to show me how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. And uh, what he showed me, he reminded me that even though, you know, he was my earthly dad, God was my heavenly father. And he's worked, my heavenly father is working on my father's heart and his life. I don't know how my dad was raised, what he came up against, what caused him to be that kind of father, but who was I to judge him? And so God showed me, like, can you forgive him like Jesus forgave you for all your sins, all your discretions? And so I mustered up the courage as a young adult. I went over to my dad's house with my brother, and I just had a heart-to-heart -heart with my dad. I said, Dad, you know, first of all, I love you, but let me tell you what childhood was like for me. Let me tell you all the things I missed. I mean, you never came to a game. You never encouraged me. You never told me I was a man, you know, and I sought that. I desperately needed that, but I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to let you know in spite of that, God has shown me how to love you. And I said, you know, what can you love somebody for that has treated you so wrong? And in my case, he gave me life. If nothing else, he gave me life. And he was God's son. And God was working out his life to bring him back to redemption. And so from that moment, I wish I could describe the 20 years of freedom I have had by completely forgiving my father. And to this day, I've kept an open door. I said, Dad, if you ever want to come to San Diego, we always have a room for you. You're always welcome. And it's unfortunate that he's never met his granddaughters. They are 14 and 11 to this day. Maybe twice a year we'll play phone tag. But I'm believing one day that I've already forgiven him. He just hasn't forgiven himself. But it's going to happen. So we need to break that unforgiveness monster. Amen. And let me tell you one final story on that. And I better watch the time here. So, oh, there it is. Great. Um, let me tell you a final story of a man that beat this unforgiveness monster once and for all. This man was a young man in his early 30s, and he did nothing but good his whole life. He was betrayed one night by one of his closest friends. He was arrested. False charges were brought against him by the chief priests, the captains of the temple, and the elders. None of his men stood up for him. And in fact, his best friend denied him three times. 
This young man was imprisoned, tried, and condemned by a jury of his peers, and even a murderer was let go, and he was sentenced to a death sentence. He was mocked and called king of the Jews, punched in the face, beaten, tortured. His beard was ripped out, a crown of thorns placed on his head. Nails were driven through his hands and his feet. All his possessions were stolen, and he was crucified on a cross, the most painful death imaginable. And in the end, when he looked out in the crowd, he could barely see hanging up there, blood and sweat and tears in his eyes. And he said these words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that is a powerful imagery of Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of the lords. And no matter what you've done in your life, I know in a, a group this size, there is something you have not forgiven yourself for. But today is the day. We beat that monster and you realize you've already been forgiven. You're already accepted. God delights in you. He loves you. And he just wants a relationship with you. So let's get that fixed today. Amen. So the action I want you guys to take is, you know, as we've been pardoned and set free for forget and forgiven of everything, let's right now just think of somebody. Who has God highlighted in your life that you have not forgiven? Just think for a minute. Who is that? And I want to encourage you. Don't let a week go by. Have the phone call. Have the sit down. Pray to God. God, how can I forgive them for what they did to me? God will show you a way. He'll give you an answer. He'll be in that conversation. And when you let them go, the prison cell that you've placed yourself in, you have the key to unlock that door. If I could, I wish I could do a better job of explaining the freedom you will have when you hold no judgment against anybody. You just forgive them. You love people. That's what Jesus did. He loved the people that persecuted him, that did that to him on the cross, and he loves you. So let's get unforgiveness out of our life. Amen? All right, you guys ready for round two? Okay, now, this is a big one right here, unworthiness. Anybody feel unworthy in this room? Uh, there we go. Come on, hands all over. You know, it's really stolen your past, and it'll steal your future if you let it but we're going to take care of that here today. It's defined as not deserving effort, attention, or respect, not acceptable, having little or no value or merit. And it plays out in many ways. Your environment, the people around you, the words that have been spoken over you, you know, your mom, your dad, your siblings, coaches, relatives, friends, enemies, things that have spoken over you. If they're not positive, uplifting, encouraging, then they are not who you are. And a lot of times, if we get somebody speaking enough negative into our life, we think that's who we are. But that's not who God says we are. You want to know who you are? You open up this book right here and let God tell you. You are champions. You're winners. You're more than conquerors. And so let me give you just a small example of how words make an impact. So for you parents out there, as we have small kids, their natural tendency is to be shy, you know. And a lot of times I see young parents make the say, oh, you know, that's Johnny. It's okay. He's hiding behind my leg. He's shy. Don't speak that over them. Don't speak. Only speak over what you want them to be. So I've got two young daughters, and I learned this at an early age. And so whenever we would meet somebody, I would say, all right, honey, 
first thing we do, we look them in the eye. Maintain eye contact. That's confidence. We stick out our hand. That's friendliness. And we shake their hand and we say who we are and that we're happy to meet them. And it took years. But like my daughters are the most confident girls you will ever meet. And that will set them up for life. And to give you a personal story, I didn't learn that till I was 17 years old. I mean, I was so shy, I didn't even ask a girl out for a date in high school. I couldn't even look them in the eye, much less get the courage to ask them, because those words of shyness were spoken over me. It took my mom, <laughs> funny to mention this, my senior year, took me to Charlie the jeweler. Now, my mom, she's loaded rings of gold, everything gold. So Charlie was her best friend. I walk in at 17, and she meet, I meet Charlie, and she's like, I want you to teach my son how to look people in the eye and be confident. And so I remember sitting there with him, and he taught me exactly what I just told you I taught my daughters. And from that moment, I started to have confidence when I meet people. And as we do, you know, say hi, 60-second meet and greet, look people in the eye. That's a great place to practice it. But it builds so much confidence, and people can trust you when they can look you in the eye. You're not looking down. You're not looking around. It's a sign of trust. So parents, make sure you exercise that. And let me tell you a little bit about unworthiness. God gave us so many examples in the Bible. First of all, one of the greatest leaders in the Bible was Moses. But he lived a life of total unworthiness, an unworthy mentality. So let's take a look at just some of the things that came out of his mouth. Watch what you speak. First of all, he said, I'm not qualified to fulfill my calling. Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Has anybody ever felt unqualified out there? I lack knowledge to fulfill my calling. And Moses said unto God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and shall I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Have any of you felt like you lack knowledge? I do not believe I can fulfill my calling. That's a big one. And Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me nor listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Wow, the power of belief. I just went through a seminar with uh, the only three-time solo leader of the Navy Blue Angels. And they have a diamond performance pyramid. Guess what the first thing on it that they teach the team? Fly 18 inches from each other at like Mach 4, Mach 5. 260 days a year around the country. They said, the first thing is, what do you believe? And so whatever you guys are hunting for this year, whatever you want this new year to look like, it starts with belief. You believe it. Then you have faith. Then you operate on that faith. God joins you. And then the miracles start to flow. So number four, this is not my calling. Have any of you felt like this is not my calling? Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Have any of you felt that this is not your calling? And then finally, I do not want to fulfill my calling. And he said, O my Lord, please send the hand of whomever else you have in mind. I'm not it. I mean, I tell you what, you talk about the poster child for unworthiness, and yet, Look what God did through Moses' life. So I want to encourage you today, if you felt any of those issues of unworthiness, it's okay. We're a work in progress. You know, in this house, under this teaching, 
you will find your worth, your calling, the gold within you. I mean, it is going to be the most amazing experience you guys have ever had. So Paul, think of Paul, the legend. He said, Paul had doubts and feelings of unworthiness, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. His past kept haunting him into his present and his future. I met a young, beautiful lady last night at the hotel, and I'm not sure if she's in here today, but uh, I could tell when I met her, what a great smile, what a great heart. I mean, she just exuded love. But she was starting to define herself by her past. And I could tell that sense of unworthiness was there. And she just needed somebody to call out the gold within her. And I invited her to church today. I'm not sure if she's here today. But I said, God loves you and he's got a plan for you. And it stopped her in her tracks. She turned back and says, do you really think he does? I said, I know he does. We need to be that kind of light into our workplace, our business, our family, our friends. We need to call out the gold in each and every one. And then let me tell you just a quick story of um, how unworthiness has played out in my life. You know, when you don't have a father figure, and you know, doesn't God have a sense of humor that a man that's on his fifth stepfather that had no example is now leading the men's ministry? Pretty crazy, pretty crazy. God works all things together for good. So I didn't have an earthly father, and for me, it channeled into perfectionism. Any perfectionists out there? All right, there you go. You can relate. So <clears throat> it looks good on the outside, and it sounds great, but it, and it accomplishes many amazing things. But the one left completely empty is the perfectionist. This has been me and played out in every area of my life since I was a little kid. From the earliest moments, I strove to be the best at everything, sports, academics, be the best son. My poor brother had to follow in my footsteps. I mean, he said, they call you the golden boy. Thanks, brother. You know, feel bad for him. But um, I thought if I could just work harder, play harder, take on more roles, more responsibilities, then maybe just maybe, if I was the best at everything, I'd be noticed for something. And so in school, and this is not to gratify me at all, it's just to tell you how harmful unworthiness can be. School, I was ranked 11 of 450 students, member of the National Honor Society, French Honor Society, state champion runner-up in football, captain of the wrestling team, soccer team, one of only three to receive the Henry Jordan Memorial Award for the best student by voted by their teachers. After all those accolades and graduation, and everybody saying, great job, it just felt empty. Felt like it wasn't good enough. Didn't measure up. And my dad wasn't there to call out the greatness in me. Then I said, okay, to be the best. Can you guys hear me? I said, maybe I have to uh, take on a new challenge, the United States Marine Corps. To me, they were the best of the best, leader of leaders, type A organization. Maybe if I could be a Marine, a Marine officer, then I might be told I've got what it takes. 
sold everything I owned. My mom worked three jobs, had just enough money to get into college, went to the Virginia Military Institute. I told the Marine officer instructor, I've got to earn a scholarship, else I will not be back. I applied myself mechanical engineering. We started with 50. When we graduated, only 19 made it through the program. Still had to do all the parades every Friday, every Saturday. Went to school six days a week, half a day on Saturday. Military drill. Earned the scholarship. Earned to be a Marine officer. And then did a 20-year run. Got all kinds of accolades. I've got the Defense Meritorious Service Medal, three Meritorious Service Medals, two Navy Commendation Medals, one Navy Achievement Medal a bunch of other medals but still this hole in my heart I'm not good enough I've got to do more and then God came to me not too long ago through C3 through a band of brothers through Pastor Jurgen, Pastor John Pastor Colin Pastor Matt and they said Charles let me tell you who you are you know we can do the best job we can your wife can encourage you, your friends, your pastors. But the only one that can really tell you your worth and value is your father, your true father, Father God. And for all of you in here today, this book, it's the number one all-time bestseller. It's not even listed anymore. It's the greatest book of wisdom, greatest book of life. It will tell you who you are, who you were called to be. You guys are unique. You're special. You're one of a kind. Your father knows every hair on your head. I love my girls. I can't tell you every hair on their head. He created you for a plan and a purpose. This is your moment. This is your time. I'm sure you're tired of living small. And you've asked yourself, God, is this it? Is this the life that I'm supposed to live? But he says, no, there's so much more. Plant yourself in this house. Let me bring out the gold within you. And you have got an incredible journey. You were meant to reach people I can't reach. Pastor Vince and Becca can't reach in your sphere. But it starts with you, your relationship with God. Discovering the price that was paid for you by Jesus Christ. You were so precious that God allowed a perfect man, his only son, to pay your price. Think about that. He had a perfect son in heaven, but he said, it's not good enough. I want you and you and you and you. And then not only does he love us, he's already paid the price for our sin, but then he gave us the greatest power in the universe, the Holy Spirit that lives with inside each and every believer. I am only just beginning. Tomorrow I'll turn 49. I felt like I've been a baby Christian my whole life. I'm like, God, let's let the Holy Spirit lead, and I just try to keep up. And that's what I'm believing for all of you guys here today. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we're going to pray for those that want to beat this monster of unforgiveness. God, that have carried it far too long, that have harbored resentment, judgment, anger, God, the devil has brought back flashback after flashback of things that they have not been able to forgive. God, if there is anyone in this room today that you highlighted 
It's not even something I said, but God, you brought somebody to their mind that they need to forgive. God, give them the courage to forgive completely, 100%. God, you've given them the key to unlock that prison door that's going to be a freedom that I don't even have the words to do justice. So if that's you in here today, I want you to raise your hand with boldness. That's me. God's highlighting. I need to forgive somebody. I'm not going to go into this next year harboring that. I'm going to have the conversation. God's going to be with me. I'm going to set the story straight, and I'm going to unlock my door. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over this room. Thank you. Now, you can put your hands down. The second group, those that felt unworthy, that are wondering, God, what is this life all about? Why do I struggle? Why do I fail? Why do I feel less than? God, I want to believe the promises in your book. I want to believe who you say I am. God, help me. The world is always trying to tell me who I am. And God, I want you to tell me who I am. So for those that struggle with perfection or lack of trust or feeling less than those around them, if you are struggling with that monster of unworthiness, raise your hand right now. Thank you. Look at that. Wow. All over this room. Get honest. Get real. God is reaching out to you in this moment. All you've got to do is reach up. Thank you. I'm going to pray over you too right now. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this word. God, thank you for coming into their heart and their mind and letting know their worth and their value. God, they are more than conquerors. They are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. God, you have got plans and purpose for their life. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. And behold, you've given them authority over all the power of the enemy. God, may they walk out of here like champions with their head held high because that's who they are. You paid the highest price to let them know their true value. God, comfort their heart. Give them the power to have the conversations. Let them forgive. Let them walk in freedom and victory. And finally, I want to pray for one more group. Those that have came in here today, and God's been waiting for you. He's been pursuing you your whole life. This is a divine moment. This is an encounter with your heavenly Father. This is a moment in time where you have found yourself in a seat in this church to hear a word. You didn't know about Jesus. You didn't know how much you were loved, that your Father would give his one and only. If that's you today and you want a relationship with God, it comes through the Son. It's a free gift. It comes by just accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He has washed away all your sin. He has forgiven you, your past, your present, the sin you will do for tomorrow. tomorrow. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are cherished. And he wants nothing more to call you son and daughter. If that's you today and you feel God is tugging on your heart and you want to accept Jesus, raise your hand high. Raise it with boldness. Raise it with pride. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to linger. God, keep working on their hearts. Keep working on their minds. Devil, we bind and break your power. This is their moment. This is their time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Come on. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're guaranteed this moment that God loves you. He's with you. He's for you. It's a free gift. Accepting Christ, you secure eternity 
where you will spend eternity. This free gift, this free moment, right now. God is for you. The angels are for you. The church is for you. Is there anybody else? Well, thank you. Thank you. Everybody go ahead and look up here at me. I'm going to turn it over to the amazing Pastor Vince. For those of you that raised your hand, we have got a book for you, a Bible. We have got a following Jesus, the next steps. They will show you who to meet, where to go. But it has been my honor and privilege to spend time with you. I consider you family. I love you. God loves you. Go and be the best you dominate in this new year. Amen.